we're gonna we're gonna be taking a trip down memory lane and answer your question about where we where we're gonna be. Uh, I'm getting nostalgic. I was nostalgic two weeks ago. A different form of nostalgia uh, this week. So um, I want you to cast your mind back 12 years. Okay, so. For some of you, that'll be easier than others. Just bearing in mind, Anna and Hope were one <laughs> 12 years ago. Probably haven't got great memories from 12 years ago. But, but 12 years ago, well, what were you doing 12 years ago? I want to tell you what I was doing 12 years ago. So 12 years ago, I was getting ready to leave Hartlepool. Now, I know what you're thinking. How could anyone do such a thing? Had he had a mental breakdown? Like, what, what was going on that could lead someone to such a radical uh, decision, but, but that's what I was doing 12 years ago. 12 years ago, I was getting ready to leave Hartlepool and to move down to Leeds. And for the four and a half years prior to that, I'd been working for a church in Hartlepool, um, and that was, but that was drawing to an end. I had decided that I was going to leave that job, but more than that, I was going to leave church work altogether. I was just going to stop working for church, and I'm going to start a different career down in Leeds. Um, and as I was leaving Hartlepool, I was absolutely convinced at that point that Hartlepool needed some new churches, that we needed new churches in this town. As a town of almost 100,000 people, we needed more communities of Christians living life together, living out their identity as children of God, sharing the good news with people in this town. Like, I was convinced of that 12 years ago, but I was leaving Hartlepool. Uh, and, and the reason for that was that I was equally, as convinced as I was that Hartlepool needed new churches, I was equally convinced that I was not the right person to be involved in meeting that need. Like, I, I, was, I was definite about those two things. I thought Hartlepool needs new churches, but it needs someone else to set up new churches in Hartlepool. That's what, that's what needs to happen. Now, now, there were a number of reasons for that. At that, at that point, I was um, fairly disheartened and discouraged I had found working for a church increasingly difficult. Uh, I was discouraged in part by what I perceived as a lack of growth, both within the people in the church and with new people coming to know Jesus for themselves. But, but more than that, perhaps a more significant issue in me deciding I wasn't the person was I felt like I lacked the character to set up a, a church and to help lead a church in uh, anywhere. For, there were a couple of reasons for that. So one was, for the first time in my Christian life, I'd gone through a prolonged period of doubting the existence of God. Uh, just, does, does, is he even out there? Does he, does he exist? And it's worth saying that God was so faithful to me through that time, and he drew close to me in so many different ways, uh, and he kept me walking with him through that, through that time. But that has been a constant, an ongoing thing in my Christian life ever since then. So it, for the years just leading up to me leaving Hartlepool, that was the first time. But since then, it's never been a complete stranger to me. I've always had that somewhere uh, in my life. But God continues to walk with me, continues to sustain me through that. So that was one issue. You know, how can you plant a church if, if you're struggling with that issue? Uh, and then the second one was that I knew I had an ego. I knew that I, I, I battled with pride and I was just convinced that planting a church would not be good for me in that way. Like, like you, if there's one thing you don't want, you don't want to be uh, prideful and uh, have this ego that you're trying to feed through 
planting a church. It just seemed like a terrible idea to me. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Like, it's not going to be good for me, even for my character. And so we moved away from Hartlepool, and we joined this great little church called Redeemer in Leeds, which was about two weeks old or something when we joined, meeting in someone's living room. Uh, and we were able to be part of that church plant uh, for the four years that we were down in Leeds. Now, two years later, 10 years ago, so two years later, how I thought about church planting and how I thought about my potential role in it, that had changed. So between 12 years ago and 10 years ago, uh, that had changed. I, I now felt differently about it. There were a number of reasons for that. So one was... I'd been part of a church plant. I'd spent two years in a church plant watching a church plant grow, watching people go from a tiny group of Christians to sharing the good news, to seeing people join, to seeing people grow in their faith, to seeing such a wide range of people. I remember um, looking around the life group, um, which were called city groups there that I was in, and just being aware that we had people from Catholic backgrounds, people from completely non-Christian backgrounds, people from a whole different denominations, and just thinking, wow, we've got this real mix of people all exploring Christianity together and just being enthused by that. So, so part of it was that. I just, I'd got to be part of a church, and I got to see how it happened. Uh, the, the second thing that changed that was the leaders of Redeemer Church were really encouraging about the prospect of me going to plant a church. Now, it might have been they wanted rid of me. Uh, the classic sort of give them a good reference if you want them out. Uh, it might have been that, but they were encouraging and supportive of the idea that we should explore and think about planting a church specifically in Hartlepool. And, and so that also played a role in my, in my change thinking. But, but what also played a role in that was, I guess I, I became aware that if only perfect people who never battled with pride were to plant churches, then no churches would ever be planted. There would be no churches. Because it turns out that the gospel is good news of forgiveness and transformation for proud people as well as other people. And so finally, about 10 years ago, I became convinced that planting a church in Hartlepool was something that I should be willing to consider being a part of. Because after all, if someone like me who knew Hartlepool, who lived here, who had a, an affection for the place, I've always uh, viewed Hartlepool affectionately, if someone like that wasn't going to plant a church in Hartlepool, then who is? Who is going to come and set up new churches here? So, about 10 years ago, I approached Michael and Lisa and Scott and Kathy. And I asked them, would you, I've been thinking about this, would you be interested in, in the prospect of planting a church in Hartlepool? Uh, and I think it was probably about six months, I'm not entirely sure, but after about six months of discussing that between us, then Scott and Kathy uh, and Michael and Lisa decided that they, they would be interested in, in exploring that as a possibility. And so we began the process of planning what would Grace Church Hartlepool look like. Uh, how would we go about setting up this church in, in Hartlepool? Now, we were in Leeds at that point. Scott and Cathy were in Sunderland. They were working um, in the university there uh, for UCCF, sharing the gospel with students. Mike and Lisa were in Hartlepool. And so what we tried to do is we tried to meet up on a weekend, sort of most months, it probably wasn't every month, but kind of most months, we'd get together 
for a weekend, and we'd spend that weekend working through kind of, okay, how are we going to teach the Bible in Grace Church? We'd spend a weekend on that. Okay, what do we think mission looks like in Grace Church? Let's spend a week on that. What do we think about different issues, uh, gifts of the Spirit, you know, those kind of things. And so we'd spend a weekend working through each of those together. And we did that for the two years, and then September 2015, Grace Church was launched. So almost eight years ago now. So in August, we moved back to Hartlepool. The Thompsons moved uh, back into Hartlepool, uh, and we uh, launched the, the church then. Now, we're, we're in Acts, as Michael kicked us off by saying. And I wanted to start with that, because Acts is a book about church planting. It's the story of church planting. That's what Acts is. If you read through Acts, you just read the story of church after church after church after church being planted. It's the story of how those first churches were established during the years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And in this section we're going to be looking at over these next, I think it's seven weeks, but I'm never entirely sure just because I never bother really counting. And we're going we're gonna to look at how churches were established in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. We're going to be looking at these great cities and what it looked like for the first churches that had ever existed in those places to be set up. And that story that we're going to read about here, beginning 2,000 years ago, is the story of history. It's the story that continues as, for 2,000 years, church after church after church after church after church has been established. And it's a story which, unbelievably, Grace Church Hartlepool gets to be a part of. We're a part of that story. We're a part of God establishing his churches in various places across the world. The story of Grace Church Hartlepool is just the continuation of the story which began 2,000 years ago and will continue until Jesus returns. It's the great story of history, the story of God opening people's eyes to the good news that he loves them, that he died for them, that forgiveness is available, that they can be part of his family. That's the story of history. And then, as those people's eyes are open to that, they come together to worship him, to grow in their faith, to love and serve each other, and to love and serve the places that God has put them. Now, I just want to be clear that at Grace Church, if you are here this afternoon, which you are, um, that is the story we are inviting you to be a part of. Like that, that's what we're inviting you into. We're not inviting you primarily to join a club. We're not inviting you to primarily give us some money. We're not inviting you to come and enjoy a Sunday afternoon. I hope all those things are realities in your life. But what the story we're inviting you to be a part of is the story of sharing the good news of who Jesus is. If you've experienced Jesus' forgive, forgiveness yourself, then we invite you to join us as we seek to love and worship God together, to love each other, and to grow in our knowledge and love of God. If you don't yet know Jesus here this afternoon, so if you're someone who's just been looking into that, the invitation is for you to find the forgiveness Jesus offers, become a part of the family he has created, so that then you can join us in that. That's always the invitation. It's the invitation for every single one of you here, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. The invitation is get on board with this story. Be a part of this story of God opening people's eyes, bringing them into his family, and then of churches being planted as the gospel goes out further and further and further. 
Now, your story, whatever it looks like, it will be different to mine. I was, I was thinking as I was telling that story of the planting of Grace Church, I thought it'd be interesting how different Scott and Michael's stories would be. It'd be interesting. I mean, if you're, if you're interested, you could ask them. I don't know how different they'd be, but they would be different because their story was not my story, but we were part of that same story. I've used the word story too many times, I've got confused. But you, you get the idea. Like, like everyone's story is different. Now, it strikes me that as human beings and as a culture, we are desperate for a story. We're desperate for some sort of narrative that makes sense of our lives. That, that joins together these slightly random things that seem to happen and can give them some meaning. Sometimes our life can feel like slightly humdrum and also like a slightly random collection of events that we just do each day and we're not overly sure why. We're not sure where they're going. We're not sure what their purpose is. We string together meaningless activities which consume all our time and all of our mental capacity and at the end of it, we're not sure what it is we're actually doing. It's easy to feel like our life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So, let's get into Acts. Let's see what it tells us about the story of our life. We're going to start Acts 16, verse 6. If you've got it open, that would be helpful. Um, it's a relatively short bit. We're just going to read about when Paul first arrived in Philippi. So Acts 16, verse 6 down to 15. Let me read it for us. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of somewhere, Phrygia perhaps, and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. This is a passage I should have asked someone else to read. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. In this passage of Acts, what's going on here? So Paul and his companions are traveling from Jerusalem. So that's where they've just been. Um, they've been to Jerusalem to talk to the leaders of the church there. And they're traveling now around what is modern day Syria and Turkey. That, that's where they are. So they're in, in that sort of area. And, but as they travel... Their focus is very clearly on one thing. If you're to ask, what is the story of Paul's life? What is the thing he's pursuing? What's the thing he's living for? Well, it's actually quite clear. Just in those first few verses, he says it twice, what his focus is. The first, I think, is in verse 6, where it talks about how they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. 
Uh, and then um, in verse 10, we're told that they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. You see, this, that, those phrases just give you an insight into what Paul is about, what his heart is, what he's pursuing with his life. And what is it? Well, it's the preaching of the gospel. That's what he's doing. That's what he cares about. That's the grand narrative that governs his life. How can I live my life to preach the gospel, to preach the words? That's what he wants to spend his time doing. Now, I just want to be clear at this point what preaching is. Because preaching is not what I'm doing now. Some of you might go, I didn't think it was. But it's, what I mean by that is it's not, it's not exclusively what I'm doing now. Because preaching is simply the proclamation, that's all the word means, of the good news of Jesus. How do we tell people the good news about who Jesus was and what he's done? That was the focus of Paul's life. That's what Paul devoted his life to. Paul's story is a story of him preaching Christ. When he's in prison, he's preaching Christ. When he's traveling from place to place like we see him here, he's looking for opportunities to preach Christ. When he's in court being accused of crimes, what's he doing? He's preaching Christ. When he's in synagogues being opposed by the Jewish leaders, he's preaching Christ. That's the work of Paul's life. Ever since he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, that's the story he wants to be a part of. Now, I'm aware that you're not Paul. You're not him. You're probably not called to travel around Turkey and Syria and plant churches. But I want to suggest that the grand story of Paul's life, the story of preaching Christ, is the story that you are meant to be a part of. It's meant to be the story of your life, not just Paul's. This is not just a story for apostles and uh, for kind of the early followers of Jesus. This is the, the normal story, the story that's meant to underpin every human being's life. I want to give you three reasons why I think that's the case. The first is creation. Okay? Right at the beginning, when God created us, God created us, too, for the purpose of declaring his goodness. That's why we were created. We were created as an overflow of the goodness of God. That's why we were made in his image, to show something of him. You're an overflow of the goodness of God, of his love, of his creativity. And therefore, every human being is only going to be fulfilling the purpose for which they were created for, to the extent that they are proclaiming the good news of who God is and what he's done. And it's in Jesus that we see God as the most glorious. And so that means that every human story should have at its heart proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I think creation means the fact that we were created by God to declare his good. I think that means that all of us are meant to be part of that story. If you're not part of that story, you're sort of denying something of what it means to be a human being. Because it's what you were created for, proclaiming him. That's the first reason why I think it's not just Paul, but everyone who's called to this. The, the second reason uh, is, is Jesus. I just want you to cast your mind back to the words that Jesus said when he 
return to heaven. Matthew 28 is known often as the Great Commission. We're told Jesus' words there were, he commands his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. And therefore, Jesus' expectation is that those who follow him will tell others about him, will proclaim the gospel, will preach the words. And so I think it's what you were created for, so it needs to be your story. I also think it's what Jesus came to do was to bring you into that story. And then the final thing that I just want to draw your attention to is something that we read a few months ago when we were in Acts 8. Acts, Acts 8 tells a story uh, that Michael was actually talking about of Christians being persecuted in Jerusalem. And what happens is that they're, they're persecuted in Jerusalem, and so they flee, they scatter out of Jerusalem. So you imagine you've got this little community of, of um, Christians, recently become Christians, and then persecution comes, and so they're forced out of Jerusalem, and they go to different places. And we're told... That those who had been scattered, I love this phrase, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It's interesting, they preached the word. And, you know, I can't imagine they were all preachers. I can't imagine they were all people who went out and you know, stood up in front of crowds of people and declared the goodness of God in that way. But they're all described as having preached the word. Why? Well, because of what I said before, preaching is just declaring, proclaiming. Wherever they went, in whatever way God had gifted them, they proclaimed the word of who Jesus was and what he's done for them. It's not apostles that are going here. It's the normal people who've been scattered. We're actually specifically told in Acts 8 that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They were the only, pretty much the only people who did it. It's everyone else who gets scattered, and they're the people who go preaching the word. Ordinary people going about their ordinary lives, proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the story that you were created to be a part of. It's the story that Jesus rescued you so that you could be a part of. And it's the story which ordinary Christians have been a part of for the last 2,000 years. And so all I, all I really want to do at this point is just ask you the question of, is that a story that you are going to be a part of? Or do you want to be a part of that story? Because it strikes me that in a lot of the conversations I have, people have no idea what the story of their life is. Or to put it another way, they have no idea what they're trying to achieve with their life. What is it that you're trying to do with your time? What is it you're pouring your time and money and resources and all your energy and all the gifts that you've been given? What are you pouring that into? I feel like I have conversations with people over and over again, and people don't really know the answer to that question. Maybe you've heard me speaking here and you've been like, that is not the story I want for my life. I do not want the story where my time and life is devoted to preaching the gospel. Like, that's not what I want. Fair enough, it's, it, you're allowed to make that decision. But the question I want to come back to you is then, well, what is the story that you want to be a part of? What is the story of your life? What is it that you're putting your time and energy into? It's so easy to move from day to day without a clear purpose and then to get to the end of the week the end of the year, the end of the decade, the end of our lives, and wonder what we've been doing. What have we been doing with all that time we were given? Life is full of things clamoring for your attention. Just desperate for you to look at them. Desperate for you to, 
to invest in them, seeking to occupy and distract you from ever sitting back and thinking about what is actually important in your life. What is it you actually want to achieve? What is it which will bring meaning and purpose to your life? If you're a Christian, to ever ask the question, what is it that God's actually calling you to? So what is it that God's calling you to do? Well, in some ways, the answer to that question is simple. It's to preach the gospel, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus. We often get hung up with that question of like, what, God, what is God calling me to? And I just want to encourage you, you don't actually need to worry too much about that question because you know the answer. God's calling you to preach the gospel. I guess what we often find challenging is working out the details of, well, how do we go about doing that? Like, what's the specific way that God's calling me to do that? I know God wants me to preach the gospel, but what I can't work out is how I'm meant to do that. And, and I think that's interesting, because that's basically where Paul finds himself in this situation. You have this kind of random story of him sort of slightly meandering around Turkey and Syria, not quite sure where to go. And it's, it's worth noticing that, that Paul expects that the normal way he will work out what God wants him to do is through normal means. Generally, what Paul does is he and his companions, they look at where they are, they look at where there's a gospel need, and they go there. We've seen them do it all, all the time. So they've, they've been to Cyprus, they just, they just went. They'll talk about it together with their companions, uh, they'll pray about it, they'll look at the opportunities, and on the basis of that, they come up with plans. That's what Paul does here, he comes up with two plans. His first plan is to go to Asia and plant churches there. They're near Asia. There's clearly a gospel need in Asia. So why wouldn't they go to Asia and preach the gospel there? That's his first plan. The problem is that God doesn't want him to do that. So God closes that door for him. And then he comes up with a second plan. His second plan is that he's going to go to Bithynia. They're near Bithynia. There's gospel need in Bithynia. Why would they not go to Bithynia? But again, God closes the door for them there. And so where does Paul end up going? Well, he ends up going to Macedonia. Now, I want to suggest that what you read there is actually unbelievably freeing for those of us who worry about, well, what if God's calling me to something different to what I think he is? What if I've got it wrong? What if I'm trying to discern what God's calling me to do? It's just so freeing because you can just do what Paul does, which is basically look at where you are, look at the need, and then think, well, I'll go there. Because if God doesn't want you there, he's got a million ways to close that door for you. He's got a million different ways to shut that door and to, to make it impossible for you to go there. If God wants you to be somewhere else, he'll get you there. If he's calling you to preach the gospel in a different context, he has so many ways to get you there. If God's plan for you is not your plan, then God has many ways to close that door. If God has something different planned for you, he has many different ways to open that door for you. So for Paul, he finds two doors closed, then he finds a door open. So he goes through that one. Through a vision, God directs him specifically to Macedonia. You see, Paul is not paralyzed by trying to work out God, where God wants him to be. No, he just gets on and tries some things. And in the end, God, through visions and circumstances, takes him to Philippi, 
And in Philippi, he's going to plant a church, and that church is going to be an unbelievable blessing to Paul throughout his entire ministry. It's going to be one of the most supportive churches that Paul is ever going to have throughout his ministry. They're going to support him financially. He's going to write letters to them. They're going to send companions to visit him. So the story goes on. He's gone around these various places. He's tried there, tried there, didn't happen. It ended up in Philippi. The question is, what do you do then? So what does he do when you get to Philippi and you're like, great, I'm here to preach the gospel. How do you do it? Like, imagine going to a city where there are no other Christians there and being like, right, I'm now going to tell people about Jesus. Like, how do you actually go about doing it? What I love is that Paul has an incredibly simple approach that he does pretty much everywhere he goes. Every single city he goes to, he basically does the same thing. He goes to places where he will get a hearing. That's all he does. He just goes to places where people are going to listen to him. And normally, that starts with the synagogue. That's where he goes first. Nearly always he goes to the synagogue first. You'll just read it again and again. That he goes to the synagogue. Why? Because he knows that in the synagogue, he will have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. The people might not like it. They often don't. They often rise up against it. But he knows that there, he'll have a chance to talk to people about Jesus. So that's where he goes first. If the synagogue ends up close to him, then he goes to other places where he can get a, a hearing. It's interesting. Philippi doesn't seem to have a synagogue. He doesn't go to the synagogue in Philippi. But what it does seem to have is it has a river outside the city where Jewish people go to pray. Uh, It's possible that the reason they didn't have a synagogue is because there's no Jewish men in the town, which is why the women go outside of the city to pray by the river. So he's like, well, if that's where they're going, then I'm going to go there. So he goes to this river and he preaches the gospel there. It's there that he meets Lydia. We're going to actually talk quite a bit more about Lydia next week, so maybe I'll just leave that for now. But I just want us to think about how might we do the same as Paul does? Because we're going to see this happening again and again in this section. He's going to go to the synagogue, to the rivers, to the marketplaces, to the councils, anywhere where he thought that the gospel would get a hearing. And I just want us to think, what, what are the equivalents for us? What are those places that we can go where we might get the opportunity to speak of Jesus? In some ways, lots of the stuff that we try and organize as Grace Church is is part of us trying to create those spaces. You know, a discussion group or a Sunday gathering or a life group or whatever it is, are they spaces where we can get a hearing for Jesus? They often are. You know, I get to stand up on a Sunday afternoon and talk about Jesus and no one's going to shut me up. So you know, I can have a hearing here. I can, we can do the same at life groups. We can do the same in discussion groups. So, so a lot of what we're trying to do as a church is think, where can we put places where we can talk about Jesus, where people will actually listen? But maybe there are other spaces. Maybe there's spaces we haven't thought about. Maybe there's specific spaces in your life. I don't know, book clubs or having friends around for meals or the quiz that's coming up or whatever it is. What are the places where you think I could talk about Jesus and people would listen? Because Paul doesn't just rock up in a city and start shouting about Jesus. That's not what he does. He goes to the synagogues. He goes to the marketplaces. He goes to places where he can talk about Jesus and people will listen. As I said previously, this doesn't mean that the reactions are always good. He doesn't go to places where people are just going to love it. <laughs> he goes to places where people are going to, there's going to be hostility. He's going to face opposition. 
but he is going to be heard. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up here. The, that's, that's Paul's life. That's his heart. That's what he's about, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And I guess the question I just want to ask each of us is that question I talked about earlier, which is, is that going to be your life? Is that going to be our life? If you're, if you're not a Christian here today, so if you're someone who's not following Jesus, who's not living for Jesus, I want to suggest that you're opting out of the story of your life. Uh, that's what I want to suggest is going on there. The story of your life, the thing you were created for was to know God and to make him known. If, you, if you're not going to do that, you're opting out of the story that you were created to be a part of, the story that we are here at Grace Church inviting you into. Is that If you're someone who's not following Jesus, I want to invite you again come to know him, find the forgiveness he offers, become a part of this great story that we read about here in Acts that has carried on for thousands of years since. If you are someone here who does follow Jesus, who would call themselves a Christian, I want to suggest that you make the goal of your life proclaiming Christ. Like there's still loads of details to sort out. There's still loads of specifics. We'll still have loads of things that we're like, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do in this situation. But as a general goal of your life, I want to suggest you make that proclaiming Christ. Don't, don't worry too much about the specifics, about what God's plan for your life is. Just do what he calls you to do. Preach Christ in the places where he's put you and know that he's got a million ways to open and close doors if he needs to. Where are the places around you where you might get a hearing for the gospel? Where people might listen to you telling people about Jesus? And I guess finally, I just want to say that's a question for us as a church as well. It's a question we have to answer individually, but it's also something we've got to answer as a church. How do we keep the preaching of the gospel central to what we're about? How do we keep that at the heart of what Grace Church is? That we're proclaiming Christ? What plans should we be making confident that if God doesn't want us to do those things, he's got a million ways to stop them happening? What can we be doing to preach the gospel effectively? Where can we be going where the gospel might get a hearing? It's a question for us to think about as a church. And it's worth saying that they're some of the questions that we as leaders grapple with that we'll be talking about on Wednesday night at our vision night. How, what does it look like for us to be a church that keeps the preaching of the gospel central? look for any opportunity we can find to proclaim Christ in places where we might get a hearing. Let me pray for us as we finish.